What's up, YouTube? I'm Robert, and this is the Biker Bar. Here you are again, Sunday at 5 p.m. PST. I actually have some exciting news today. Um, the first thing I want to say is that the Biker Bar is now finally live as a podcast as well. So if you ever, if you want to, if you're, if you're sitting in your car right now trying to play this shit through the YouTube app, but instead would like to listen to it on a podcast, you can go to the Apple Store or the Apple iTunes, or the Apple, whatever the fuck Apple uses for podcasts. And the same thing, whatever the fuck Google uses for podcasts. I think it's called Google Play. Um, it's there and there. And it's also on SoundCloud. So one of those three spots. I also post these on the website, the biker.com website, and links to all three of them are there as well. So today's episode is going to be um, with me, and Joseph or Joe, whatever you want to refer to him as from the Trail Features channel. And we're going to talk about cameras. So first of all, there's always the, the $5 beer fund chat right out the gate from Brian T. I don't know what happens if that stops happening. I guess I stopped drinking on the, on the biker bar. That would be weird. It would be like a water bar or something like that. I don't know. Water bar. Isn't that like a torture? So anyways, for those of you guys that don't know Joe or Joseph, before I get sidetracked by one more shiny ball, here is Joseph from the uh, Trail Features channel. You want to introduce yourself, maybe your channel a little bit, and then we'll get to chatting. Definitely. Thanks for having me on, Robert. Um, hey, everyone. My name is Joseph. As Robert said, I run the YouTube channel Trail Features. Over there, you're going to be enjoying mountain biking content, but you're also going to see me go off on camera tangents. Uh, I like to geek out on bikes and cameras, so I've done everything from uh, taking apart a GoPro Hero 5 just to see if I get the audio uh, to work a little bit better, to uh, carrying around a 35-pound pack full of camera gear just to get that one shot uh, that really makes the video come together. So that's uh, that's kind of a quick introduction on my channel, Robert. So first of all, I think uh, it, it's duly duly uh, duly noted. That's the wrong fucking. I am all fucked up today. What I wanted to ask you is, are you are you having a beer here with us at the biker bar today? Yes, uh, I have two beers. I have a Colorado native Pilsner. That's what I'm starting off with, <clears throat> and then uh, my backup is a Amber Lager. Oh, nice. So I am. Um, Started out with a Coors Light about 10 seconds ago, but finished that up right before, right in between coming soon and going live. And then I went in here to, uh, thanks to Hand Up, have this cool koozie and uh, Pliny the Elder. So that was, uh, if you guys were on the birthday live stream, that's, that's compliments of Moonlight Leatherfoot. So first things first, man. First of all, when I first got into starting my channel, um, I think one of the more difficult things next to editing was first just figuring out what the hell I needed as far as like camera gear. And even whenever I was not even in my channel, like when I first bought my GoPro, when I just wanted to go out and, and film myself riding, I um, turned the damn thing on and right out the gate, it's like, so how many frames per second do you want to um, record at and also what resolution and I think you know that's like that's th there's no like they just they, they take this approach that you know what the fuck they're talking about I wish there mm -hmm. was a button on there that just says like set it up for me stupid and instead it's not you know so I think the first the first thing that that I would like to mention is 
how do you choose what resolution that you want to record at? So the very first thing that I want to say is a lot of people look at Brian, Seth, Alex, uh, look at all the different YouTubers from large to small and look at what gear they have and think, well, I need that. Um, and what I'm here to tell you is all you need is whatever camera you have, even if it's a cell phone. Um, yes, you might not be able to get POV footage, but a cell phone and a, and a little mini tripod, that's literally all you need to get started. Um, you know, everything else is just refining it. You are what people are interested in, not not the footage and all that stuff. Uh, it's the personality in front of the camera. So with that out of the way, leading into your question, um, if you can get away with 4K, that is the ideal resolution uh, because that gives you the best quality. Uh, it gives you a lot of options in editing if you want to get into some advanced stuff. And um, if you can't do 4K, it's not the end of the world. 1080p is totally fine because, once again, going back to the cell phones, that's what most of people are watching these things on anyways. So um, you can get away with a lot on a cell phone. Not very many people are sitting there watching your video on a, you know, 180 inch plasma 4k ultra hd um tv and are like pixel peeping you know just don't worry too much about the settings but we're going to dive in a little bit more and talk about what the ideal settings are without without getting too crazy so, so i i think it's, it's key what you're saying there is that you know even if you have a gopro that only does like 720 or 1080p like you can do two things a nothing and that won't matter because 90 percent of people are watching this shit on mobile or b even if you only have like 1080 you could still upscale that so what that means is that in your editing program you make that that image bigger so that it appears to be 4k and honestly even with the way that YouTube will compress your video afterwards, it'll probably still turn out pretty good. Yeah, so that's the thing, right? YouTube, YouTube is this big machine, right? But what it's doing is it's taking everyone's videos and it's it has to make room for that. And the way it does that is called compression. So if you export out, let's just say for an argument, uh, this three gig video file that's 15 minutes long, the, the YouTube uh, system is going to try to figure out how to make that as small as possible. So it's going to re-encode it. And you're going to lose some quality there. I mean, anyone who's ever played around with editing and putting stuff out on YouTube, um, they're going to notice a big difference between what they had exported out and what actually shows up on YouTube. You get a lot of pixelations. The colors don't look as vibrant. It's just a constant battle, and that's something that even professionals wrestle with. So don't feel bad, um, but definitely, you know, look into it. Uh, there's a lot of tutorials out there, like what's the best settings, but it always depends on like what you're doing. Like you have to look at your scenario and then adjust fire. So when I when I mentioned initially, when you first turn on your GoPro, 
if that's what you're using. Actually, even if you're using an iPhone, it'll ask you what frames per second that you want to do. Mm -hmm. And that's another one of those like little mysteries where it's like, well, I don't know what the fuck that means. So <laughs> I'll say my non-educated camera opinion, and I'll let you follow it up from there. The simple is the 30 frames per second seems to be like more maybe what you're used to seeing with what your your regular old camcorder had done in the past. Mm -hmm. 24 frames per second gives you a little bit more of a movie kind of, of a picture to it. And I'll also say if you're doing POV, it seems like 24 frames per second also makes the ground move faster. So you kind of get some blur from the ground. So it, it, it maybe shows your speed a little better, maybe doesn't, I don't know, that's arguable to some people. And then the really high frames per second when you see like, 60 or 120 what that's really for is if you're doing slow motion so for the most part i don't ever record at a high frame rate because i don't ever really do slow motion shots and if i was going to maybe i would change my camera just for that one shot but i next to never do slow-mo in my videos so i have mindset at for for probably the first year that i did video at 30 and i ended up changing it to 24 because i felt like it, it like captured my speed better it was really funny because the very first video that i did that every, like i had so many comments were like holy shit, rob you got so much faster and i was like <laughs> no actually i didn't i just changed my camera setting and and apparently that shows how fast i'm going a little better you know what do you, so, what do you think on that okay this is going down a rabbit hole and we can spend all night just talking about frame rate and shutter speed they're they're two separate things but they play really big off each other i'm going to focus right now on frame rate because that's what you're asking so first off uh frame rate 24 frames per second seems very uh arbitrary uh but where it originally came from was back in the day when cinema actually used film remember film this stuff that you had to buy in rolls before we had uh you know these little magical little things uh, they found out that about for those of you on the podcast, the, these little magical things that you just held up. Oh, but, yeah. Memory oh, cards, memory cards, <laughs> SD cards, um, something that is very easy to lose and get vacuumed so up. Basically, what he said was back when we used to have film and you had to like roll the dice when you took naked pictures, right? That's right. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. When you only had one, when you only had one time to get that shot at, uh, you know, Florida Beach. So, right. um, so basically, uh, there's a lot more that goes into it. But in cinema, they found out that 24 frames per second, meaning 24 images are getting exposed, is about the sweet spot because it looks natural to your eyes. And you're not throwing away film because film is expensive. You know, you can't just erase the film and put it back in the camera. Once it's exposed, it's exposed. So that was kind of where 24 frames came from. And as you said, it has kind of like this uh, smooth kind of soupy quality to it where there's a lot of motion blur, um, but not quite. But we'll get into that in a second. 30 is usually what you see on the, your television screen. Like if you're watching a regular TV broadcast, it's going to be in 30 frames per second. 60 frames is something that we're starting to see now in high-end cinema. Uh, a lot of sports. If you're an ESPN fan, you know, we're getting into football season. Uh, a lot of people really 
got stoked when they got to watch football at 60 frames a second because you can really see that detail fly by. It's always hard to say which is the best because it's kind of up to you to decide what style you like. Um, Jordan Boostmaster, myself, and a few other people always disagree on 30 frames is what Jordan believes is the best, and he's not wrong. Um, that's a good average to go for. Some people like uh, myself and Lone Ranger really like that kind of cinematic look of 24. Other people try to film at 60 uh, because of the fact it gives like uh, a super crisp, fast-moving image, um, but they're all different. Yeah, they definitely are. And I think that's one of those things where, unfortunately, it's really hard to put words to. It's really what what looks best to you and kind of what your practicality, like what, what looks practical to you or what looks good to you. So, I mean, that that's definitely, definitely one of those things that we could talk about it all day, but really you got to go out and film it. And, and honestly, I'll be dead honest with you. Like, it's going to take you a while before you can even notice the difference though. Like when I first started, I was like, Oh, I tried this. I tried this. I tried this. I could not, I could not see the difference, you know? And, and part of that goes into, um, shutter speed, but I'm, I'm going to dive into that a little bit later. Cause we're going to cover a topic, uh, ND filters that, that those go hand in hand. ND filters and shutter speed are very much the same topic. What I will say about this high shutter speed, if you film something at 60 frames per second or more, what that gives you is the ability to do slow motion. Like uh, my GH5 here can film 4K at 60 frames per second. What that allows me to do is if I edit in a timeline that's set up for 24 frames per second, now I can slow that 60 frames per second much, much more uh, down to... Uh, let's see, about 40% uh, speed. So I can slow it down to 40% of its original speed and get that nice, creamy, slow motion. So that's where a uh, high frame rate comes into play a lot of the times. Most people are turning it on just to be able to slow down in post and do some slow motion. So when somebody says post, that means post-production. So that yes. means the editing process. So yes. also, just so you know, yeah, you could slow down 24 frames per second, but what happens is it will be a little like jittery. It's so, like to turn into a slideshow. Yeah, so because it, it those like, so what is a frame per second? It's like how many images it's taking in one second. So exactly. So basically 24 is that's 24 shots in one second. And if it's more than that, then obviously it's more than that. But that's why you would get that smoother picture if you had 120 frames a second because then it has enough information to show you that slowly, but not make it like like uh, like stop motion back in the day when you would see like like Gumby or if anybody is old enough to know what the fuck I'm talking about, like clay making kind of stuff. Like they would do that by taking a picture, moving the clay a little bit, taking the picture, moving it a little bit, and they would always be a little jittery, right? So that's what would happen if you took a 24 frame per second video and tried to use it for slow-mo. You'd see that little bit of jittery in it instead of it just being like, just as, as fluid as it would be when you're moving in real life, except for just slower. Exactly. And kind of going back to like, you know, when cinema dis discovered that 24 was kind of the magic, like it's smooth, but it doesn't cost a lot. With stop motion, most stop motion is actually filmed because keep in mind, they're moving something, taking a picture, moving it again. 
Most cinema is 15 frames per second. That's what gives it that very unique image. Like if you ever watched Claymation or like uh, the new Wes Anderson movie, uh, Island of Dogs, it's because like they can then like spend less time moving those, you know, puppets uh, because they only have to get 15 shots per second instead of 24 shots, uh, which greatly increases the production time. Sorry, I was talking to people in the chat, so I actually wasn't listening to you. You said 15 frames per second is actually what they do in movies? Um, in claymation, stop motion. Oh, it really? That doesn't take them as long to animate something, because instead of having to take 24 individual shots to make up a second, they take 15. And that, over a hour and a half long movie, can save a ton of time for the animators. Yeah, I can only imagine. Because they were literally like taking a picture every time, right? Yes. A still frame picture. Yeah. That's just nuts. Can you think about how long that would fucking take to like just make somebody walk across the freaking the screen? Like that yeah, is exactly insane how like I I don't you have to be probably on I mean back then when they were doing a lot of that I think amphetamines were legal. That's probably how they did it. Because I don't see how you could have that much attention for detail for that long and, and be able to do that on your own without the help of some kind of substance. Definitely. <laughs> Not that I'm endorsing drug use. I'm just saying. <laughs> Coffee is a good is a good alternative. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, and they sold Jolt back then. And so, I mean, <laughs> does anybody know what Jolt is? Do you know Jolt what Jolt Cola? is? Huh? Jolt Cola? Yeah, yeah. It yeah. Was, God knows how much caffeine, and that was that was like my favorite as a kid. Though I don't know why. It's enough to be legal, right? <laughs> so you mentioned earlier shutter speed and ND filters, and that's actually interesting to me because I don't know anything about shutter speed. So I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about that. All I was told was get an ND filter because it makes your like your like outside shots like be a little bit more true to color is that wrong is what i was understanding or so so no i mean i mean what you're saying is actually inaccurate uh but what i want to what i want to do is before we dive into that um it's kind of talk about with that, I don't want to get too advanced because I, I think that, you know, we'll do the fire hose here. So I'm going to keep it really high level. Um, and there's a ton, ton of great resources on YouTube that'll teach you more about, um, you know, all these different aspects. But on a camera, you have three things that uh, affect exposure. And exposure is how much light gets exposed to that sensor or the film in that instance that the shutter is open. So first off, you have shutter speed, and that is how long the shutter is open and is exposing that film or the sensor. And usually we measure it in, you know, tenths of a second. So um, normally if you're filming, if you're filming at 24 frames per second, you want a, what's called a 180 degree shutter angle. What that basically means is whatever your frame rate is, you want your shutter speed to be um, 180 degrees off of that, which is 1 50th of a second for 24 frames a second. Now, I'm not going to get into like, what's that? 
that's a lot of math, dude. It is. And you, you know don't have to understand. They're like, hey, that's $5.75. I'm like, here's six. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what that means is you have motion blur, right? You know how a lot of people like talk about they want that cinematic look? Well, what that means is if they're filming at 24 frames per second, they have their shutter speed set to 150th or 150th, I should say, you get that perfect amount of motion blur that looks very um, kind of natural and a little bit dreamy, you know, gives it more of an epic feel. Um, so that that is why shutter speed is important. Now, on, if you're on GoPro or like a phone, just so we're, we're pointing, pointing this out, you don't have those options, right? Not out of the box normally, no. Which is why you shouldn't really worry too much about all this stuff when you first start. I want to go back to the original statement. Just focus on using your camera to make content, then start to learn how to use your tools. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, for those that are just starting out, don't worry too much about Shutter if, you're, if your camera doesn't have it. There are applications that let you do that. But with, with that, this is why um, you kind of have to start to learn how the camera actually works. It's like, um, you know, this, this has all the options available to me. But if I were to hand someone that didn't know anything about cameras because they hadn't had the opportunity to learn yet, it would be like me walking up to someone that wants to get into mountain biking and hand them a custom built downhill rig and say, go have fun. They have, you know, you or have like, no yeah, perception. Or so, dude, giving them all the pieces, telling mm -hmm. them to put together first, and then go have fun. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, it's information overload. So without me droning on, you have shutter speed, you have aperture, and then you have ISO level. So shutter speed is how long the sensor is exposed for. Aperture is like, you know how your eyes have an iris that opens and closes a little bit to adjust the light? Uh-huh. That's, that's literally how the aperture works in a camera too. It has little metal flaps that'll close and open to allow more light or less light. And so when the you're, way when you're working with a regular camera, not an action camera, you actually have to set that as well. Yes. Oh, wow. See, this is one of the main reasons that I've never bought a camera, like, like a regular camera. Cause I'm like so intimidated by all of that stuff. I, so, I, I will be dead honest, up until just recently, I've only ever used a GoPro for everything on my fucking channel. Every once in a blue moon, I'll take a shot with my cell phone. And until I got that, um, that solo shot, which has some other like adjustability, but really not much more than a GoPro. I mean, honestly, I've only used the GoPro the entire time. So with that being said, I want people to understand that you don't have to do that to, to like get into having a successful like channel. This is like the, the weeds that we're diving into. Oh, is yeah. So that you can learn how a camera operates and maybe maybe take away a little bit of, of some of that fear that comes into buying one, because I, I would love to, to buy a regular camera, but man. I feel like when we start talking about camera settings, I feel like 
like a little kid walking into the cockpit of an airplane. It's just <laughs> all these dials and buttons and knobs and sensors and blinky lights. I have no clue what's going on. So let me do a quick high level, right? Because I, you know, I feel like I'm dragging my feet going through each thing too much. So shutter speed is how long the sensor get exposed. Aperture, and as Mark G asked, is it's also known as f-stop. Aperture and f-stop are the little metal flaps that adjust how much light is getting exposed. And then you have what's called uh, ISO. And what that is is how sensitive the, the sensor is or the film is because it, remember back in the day you had to buy the rolls of film. The, the higher the number, the more sensitive it is to light, meaning the less light it takes to expose it. And um, usually, oh, so that's why, like the one ten film, like back in the day, was like the like the dumb man's camera because it would just like click it, and then that's what it did. And, yeah, like, usually five would... millimeter was like what the pros used because they knew how to like make it expose correctly. Yeah, usually you would see like um, like a six hundred or eight hundred ISO being given away with most cameras because that's a pretty safe bet. You're gonna at least be able to get some sort of exposure out of it. Um, so that's how sensitive it is. And the more sensitive you make it, the 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 less likely it is you're gonna get detail. Oh, so that... ISO is what you were just talking about, not the actual film type. Well, yes, ISO and film type. Because remember, all these terms so came ISO about with film. ISO is for nowadays in the electronic world, and film type was kind of what ISO did back in the day. Or am I confusing you? I think you might be confusing something more, thinking of the same thing. But like, remember when you buy the roll of film? Yeah. How it have that number on it? Like, right. we like 200. That's the way I remember it. Well, there's different sizes. So what we're talking about, there's different sizes of film. There's 35 millimeter and whatnot, and then you had how sensitive it was, which was usually like 100, 200, 300, 400, 500, 600. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. Now. Yeah, yeah. So the that's the ISO. The size or the 110 was actually just the size, like the literal measurement of the film? I believe so. This is starting to get out of my wheelhouse. If we had Paul on here, he would be able to give you the whole history on actual film. Son of a bitch. Yep. Okay. Oh, well. so, so, <laughs> so to bring this all back in, if you buy a camera like the GH5, there's an automatic setting where it just all does all that for you. It'll figure it out. But as the Lone Ranger said, um, you know, whenever you let the camera make the decisions for you, if you're going for a specific type of look, it's going to make the worst decision possible. If you just want to be like, you know, what? I I don't care about f-stop. I don't care about shutter speed. I just I want to make a video. Leave it in auto. But until you learn those different things, I would not recommend someone buy a GH5. You can do so much with a cell phone. It is crazy. So to quickly cover ND filters, let's say you've got your, you've got this, this idea of like, I want to make a cinematic shot, but I'm outdoors and it's super bright. So what does that mean? It means you have to, you know, really close down your your aperture. When you close down your aperture, though, it makes the what's called the uh, the depth of field or how much is in focus. Um, so you know how like when someone says like, "Oh, I want this really like I want to blow out the background. I really I want to make that Casey Neistat look." You know, they want that soft background with just the subject in 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 focus. I know you did that with a camera lens. 
Yes, but you have to set the aperture in the lens. Hang on one second. I, I know you're going to do a podcast and this will be hard for them, but it will help me illustrate it to you. What he basically said is he's going to jump in the fucking rabbit hole with both feet. He's taking <laughs> the, red, the red pill and the fucking blue pill. That's what we're about to do because my mind's already like blown. All right. So uh, for the for the people listening at home, um, this uh, in my hand is a old manual lens, meaning that there's no electronics in it. You had to set the focus and the aperture, which once again are the middle blades inside. You had to set that by hand. So I'm going to hold uh, this up to uh, the lens for Robert to see. I'm going to slowly start to close the aperture. See how the blades are moving in and closing the image? Yeah, so basically what you're seeing is kind of like the iris opening and closing inside of there is what, he's, what, what I'm exactly. seeing. Exactly. So having it wide open lets in a ton uh, of light. The iris is the aperture. Yes. All right. Having that wide open get, lets in a ton of light, and it also gives you what's called that shallow depth of field where like only one thing's in focus and everything behind it is nice and creamy and soft bokey as we call it but that's what everyone refers to as that i want to get that casey neistat look everyone watches casey neistat everyone wants to make a casey neistat look the problem is that lets in a lot of light so what do you have to do well you have to make your shutter speed higher because now your image is overexposed but now you're not getting that nice slow uh, blur that gives you that cinematic look so you have to figure out another way to block the light. That is where ND filters come out. You're you're fucking boring me, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you you wanted to you wanted to know. So I'm going to close this by saying like what an ND filter is literally just sunglasses for your camera lens. It just blocks light. So that way you can actually set the amount of light going into the lens before it even hits the lens. Be able to shut your shutter speed set the aperture and now you get that look that you want that was a long I mean, explanation for that. Kind of like cheating that a little bit is that what mm -hmm. it is no that's exactly how they do it in cinema so in the in the case of like a drone or a gopro why are you using the nd filter then because everybody's like you have to put one of those on makes it all you're thinking better. of a polarizer yeah maybe that's what it is i thought i thought they were the same thing Polarizer. Polarizer. Literally all a polarizer does is get rid of glare. Ah. Like, you know, when you wear polarizing sunglasses, how they help yeah. get rid of the road glare. Yeah. It's because the lights reflecting off of all these different surfaces. So when you put on uh, polarizing sunglasses, they let just a certain amount and wavelength of light in. And usually that makes like blues a lot richer, greens a lot uh, richer. It really makes colors that is pop. what I was thinking about. See, I didn't even know because that's what everybody was like. Oh, it makes the colors better. So you use the polarizer. You want the colors to look better. Yes. You use the ND filter if you want to dick with the ISO or the aperture, right? Yeah. And I feel like we're going really, really too far down the rabbit hole for such a high level conversation. No, that's why I wanted to. No, I mean, I think there, it's good to have a little background. I mean, that makes sense. And I'm I'm here to dumb everything down that you say. <laughs> good. So so essentially, in, in terms of, of the ND filters, 
you really don't need to use those on the action cameras unless no. or unless you're going to be like really like messing with those ISO levels and stuff like that. The only time you want to put an ND filter on a GoPro is because you're not riding. You're literally holding like the gimbal in your hand and you're filming someone talk and you want to get that um, that cinematic look because that's going to be blocking light. Well, when you're riding through PNW, you know, you go from batches of exposed uh, hillside where the sun's really bright to like really dark shadowy areas. Your GoPro might not be able to compensate through that ND filter, and now you're going to have an underexposed and very dark image. So it's best to just leave the ND filter off unless you know why you're using it. You hear my truck? Yeah, what was that sound? I heard a bunch of thudding and then a bunch of stuff. Yeah, Katie was closing the, the topper on the back of my truck. Apparently my studio is not very good being in the garage. But... <laughs> That that makes it more realistic. <laughs> Somebody asked, "Who the hell is Casey Neistat?" We should probably jump down that rabbit hole for a second. Who is um, Casey Neistat? Casey Neistat was a guy who did a lot of indie films back in the day, and then when he discovered YouTube, he kind of used it as a fun way to play around with different movie ideas. And eventually, he just started doing daily vlogs. But because he had a movie making background, he got super creative and artsy, and everyone freaking just lost it when they suddenly saw this high production value daily vlog come out of this guy. Um, it's definitely not for everyone. I think Casey's personality uh, can either be something very endearing or very abrasive to some people. So basically, so, kind of like me. <laughs> kind <laughs> of, except he wears sunglasses a lot. Yeah, yeah. No, I did watch a couple of his videos just he did some videos on uh, on the drone that I was going to buy, so I, I checked them out. He's entertaining, at least to me he is, you know. His his videos are, like, pretty fast-paced, too, so, like, he has his, like, his timing down where he's not not um, not getting boring. Are there a bunch of other YouTubers that you watch on the photo photography side? Yeah, so just to name a couple, um, Caleb, DSLR video shooter, uh, I watch, that's actually one of the big ones that I watch. Um, F stoppers is another great one. Let's see who else do I watch? Uh, there's a few other people that get a little bit too techie. Those are, that's for when you actually get to the point where you're trying to put on a full production, you got to watch people, uh, so and learn how to do it. That, 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 uh, is another one of those things that I I'm confused about when I look at cameras. There's a DSLR and then there's like some other kind of camera too. Yeah, that's DSLR and mirror. So, and so, then is there like mirrorless or is it just mirror or? Mirrorless. So, um, things or are they, is that like DSLR and mirrorless is the same or? Yes and no. To, to quickly, to quickly summarize it, DSLR goes back to the old way when we had film where you didn't want to expose the film until you're ready to hit that shutter button. So what DSLR does is the light comes through the lens and then it hits either, um, usually it's, it's a mirror, hits a mirror and then it goes up into the top of the camera. And there is a little prism there that when you look through the, uh, the viewfinder on the camera, you're looking through that prism that looks down at the mirror. So you can actually see what the lens sees. 
And a lot of old school photographers really like that style because you're seeing exactly what's coming into the lens. So that's, that's what everyone refers to as a DSLR. Now mirrorless, what mirrorless is, it's a full digital. Now that we've come to the point where we have all these sensors and these tiny, tiny little LCD screens that can live in the viewfinder, they have figured out they can just take out that mirror and take out that prism. And now the light's coming straight through the lens and hitting that digital sensor. And then the sensor's reading that information, turning into a digital signal. And it's then relaying that to the tiny little electronic viewfire, uh, viewfinder, EVF. And you can see exactly how the image looks processed. So with, with people realizing that they can film video on these digital cameras now, mirrorless has become very popular because you don't need that extra bulk of having a mirror and a prism in there. So it's lighter and it's smaller and it gets rid of an extra piece that can break. So like a GoPro is not any of those because it doesn't have a viewfinder? Um, yeah, I mean, that's that literally sits in its own category, action camera. Oh, okay. So like, it, does it work the same way as like, where you were saying the viewfinder is actually showing you like a little LCD image? Does it work like that? There where it's like taking the picture and then that's what you're seeing on your phone or whatever when you're watching it that way? Yeah, I mean, basically that sensor is always getting exposed, right? Because there's no, um, there's nothing really blocking it. There is a shutter, but it's more um, an electronic shutter. There's actually in an action camera, there's not a physical shutter that blocks light. It's basically how much is that camera refreshing that signal? Because it takes a picture, right? It's taking a digital picture and it's just taking it. 24 times a second if you have it set at 20 or 24 times a second 20 frames a second so when so, you're doing like that aperture setting which was like we were talking about like the iris when you take a picture it's actually something else that's coming down and blocking the light and and then like re-letting it through it's not that aperture closing and then opening back up to that same spot correct correct so oh wow i thought they were like the same piece nope so uh, I have my GH5 here, and I've actually taken the lens off of it so you can see that sensor inside. So for the people that are listening, I've literally just taken the lens off of. Um, so he's talking about like, you have the camera body, which is like the square part. He took the, the round freaking elephant nose off the front. Yeah. So you can see the sensor exposed right there. And right now I have it set up to take just still photos. And if I take a picture, did you see that shutter close? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's actually a curtain or the shutter blocking the light. So it drops um, down real quick and then pulls right back up. Yeah, with action cameras, they don't have that. It's all done electronically. Like it it's just like like, it turns, the, turns the, the, the camera off maybe for a second and turns it back on? It turns the sensor on and off. Okay, yeah, so. But we're like, we're diving way, way past, like we're getting into like the actual like almost the physics of how a camera works. That's you know, like interesting now. I mean, I, for, for the point, point, whoa, for the point of this conversation, I think, I think it's interesting. So I don't know how <laughs> it works. So, I mean, that, I think that at the end of the day, that that's what, you know, I'm trying to accomplish here is to understand how this works and maybe, you know, help other people understand it as well. 
Have, have we dumped? Have we jumped down that rabbit hole deep enough at this point? We're good. I, I think we've jumped far enough that the people that are watching are watching out of morbid curiosity just to see how much I can make your brain cry. That, 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 that's probably true. So let's move on then. So how about this? Why is it that most of the YouTubers out there use the Hero Four? Because audio is one of the most important and often overlooked part of making videos. So, I will watch Go ahead. I will watch something filmed on a potato if it has good audio. I think that's that's true. I mean, at least it is for me. I mean, I asked the question knowing what my answer was, but it's definitely audio. I mean, that that's that's the biggest that was the biggest letdown with the 5 even a bigger letdown with the six and um you know was that four it and, and let's let's jump in a little bit around a hole on this the four was set up to be waterproof when it was inside of a plastic case yeah so, it came with a, it came with a waterproof case that you would actually put the camera inside right so if you take that out of that case instead of it sounding like it's in a bucket underwater it sounds like it's like like really good audio. And what happened when they went to the five was they wanted to get rid of that case so that it was just like waterproof all the time. And what they did was they accomplished that, but at the cost of the good audio. And um, when they came out with the six, I, this is my personal belief. I feel like GoPro's like market share is like, 95% people that don't give a shit about audio because they're just like recording whatever they're doing and that audio is good enough. But when you're trying to like do a mountain bike ride where people can hear that tire like kind of going through the dirt or when you like hit your brakes and you hear that like, you know, that little, that little like stress of your tire like hooking up on a rock, you don't get that sound whenever it sounds like it's in a freaking in a bucket underwater and that's what happens whenever and when i say a bucket underwater like it just to me that's that's the best way i can explain it i don't know if you have a better descriptor but once you put that can they four into that case or you use the five or the six it just sounds like it's really muffled yeah so <laughs> so yeah this is this is something that has always frustrated me gopro essentially wanted to make an all-inclusive action camera and that means something that you didn't have to like put into a waterproof case if you want to take it out on the beach or windsurfing or out in the rain and to make it waterproof or water resistant they literally just had to put like a rubber membrane over it and that still lets the sound rubber come in a little bit like code word for a condom <laughs> kind of <laughs> yeah to keep uh to keep all the that nasty wetness off um so the the problem is is that whenever you put something like you know take take a if you if even if you like put a beanie or something over your ears suddenly you know it kind of gets a little muffled right the the sound has to work a little harder to get through into your ears right so when gopro decided to make the camera as attractive as possible to the average joe they're going to be standing through the kiosk and the Best Buy employee is going to be like, well, this camera over here is really awesome, but this camera that just came out has 
waterproofing. So you can just take it into the water. And the the average Joe that wants to take this on a vacation is going to think, well, that's cool. I can just take it to the beach and I don't need to worry about it. And that's kind of why they've stuck with that. Like some people in the chats are asking, like, why hasn't GoPro taken notice of this? A lot of people are complaining about the audio. The reason is, is because mountain biking YouTubers is such a small segment of their target audience that, yes, they know they've annoyed us. But most of the people buying those GoPros are people looking to take something on summer vacations and make posts for Instagram or Facebook. Anyone who's serious. About I, I don't understand why they don't have a like like a prosumer version or something like that then because for for like there there's no denying that like there's so many different professionals that are using GoPros for what they do. And I mean, I would imagine that the people that are skiing or snowboarding, they want good audio too. You know, it's like so why don't they have a better like something something better for that, you know? I think it's just manufacturing costs. So like a lot of people don't realize it, but GoPro is kind of on the verge of going under. Um, basically, late last year, they quietly announced that they would be interested in getting bought out by a larger company, whoever it was. They didn't care who it was. They actually hired someone to, you know, kind of prim and prepare GoPro to be um, very enticing to other companies. And, uh, you know, some people have been talking about the Hero 7 just got leaked by accident because someone at Best Buy decided to set up the kiosk ahead of time. <laughs> um, cool. So, you know, it, it looks like they're trying to come back a little bit, but GoPro basically is trying to make the most cost-effective product to produce and that means trying to check as many boxes as possible for one one item that they can pump out in mass production i mean ultimately i think what you're getting at is that people want to be able to like drop the fucking thing in the water by accident and not worry yeah. about being like, let me let me put it this way if i were to hand you a gopro that you just turn on and starts filming or like I'm holding in my hand the GoPro or my GH5. And you look at the GH5 and you look at all the buttons and all the dials. And I'm like, okay, you just need to set the aperture and the shutter. and the, the, the. Or there's the GoPro that you just press the big red button and it suddenly starts filming. Which one are you going to grab? Yeah, just the one. I, I want to be fucking easy. I mean, and, and I think that's really what it comes down to is that they did make it easy. And then then they did put a little bit of those settings in there, like the ISO and the frame rate and stuff like that, where, where it does just, it's enough to just confuse the shit out of, out of somebody that just bought one, you know? Yeah. Um, someone in the chat, uh, Boostin, how do I pronounce that? Boostin, Mike V, Mike, v? <laughs> sorry, Boostin. Uh, we're just going to call him Boostin. Sorry. Uh, he point. What's that? Sounds good enough. Yeah, he, uh, they pointed out most people doing skiing and snowboarding don't care about trail sounds because, you know, they're just going to throw music over the top anyways. And that's, God, but you hear that fucking, that edge cutting in the, in the snow and stuff like that. And you, you hear that snow kind of falling around you and, and stuff like that in some of the videos. So I, I think, yes, a lot of them do have music on it, but I mean, I, I, I think that there's definitely, I, I don't know at this point today, 
but I would imagine that there's probably people doing like some kind of video like we are like POV kind of mixed up with like reviews and stuff like that. There has to be in that market. If not, and, and you guys are thinking about starting a channel, maybe that's the way you should go. <laughs> I mean, that's why you see so many freaking YouTubers that do mountain biking videos clutch desperately to the hero four because it's the best it's the best combination of video and image quality or uh video and audio quality that you can buy and the prices have been getting slashed on them you can buy them new for 200 bucks now which is insane yeah definitely just like my dog my dog's insane he likes he wants to be on the channel <laughs> <laughs> no definitely i i think that that you know that is it and i and you mentioned it a minute ago about the seven being leaked and i think that's the one thing that all of us in our are in the the youtube collective that chats that was the first thing that came up was we i don't think not one of us was concerned about the video as much as we were like did they fix the fucking audio you know <laughs> like that's the big thing because if they fixed i mean they they've made um, uh, adjustments in the camera in the five and the six. And I will say that looking at the video quality, even on my session compared to the video quality on, on my four, you know, that I have the session five, cause I think, I guess there was a session before that. I think that they, they've definitely made like, like, like advancements in the video quality, but mm -hmm. not enough to make us accept the audio. And I think unless this seven, has really upped the audio game. And I think even if the audio isn't quite as good as the Hero 4, if it's close, we might be willing to accept that, you know? Yeah, and I mean, you know, I put a, a post on Instagram, like, hey, the, the Hero 7 is apparently coming out. Here's a leaked photo of it. What are you guys most looking forward to? Hands down, the majority of the responses that I got. And I got like freaking like, 30 responses on it by the time we went live the majority of them were saying hey i would love it if gopro would actually fix the freaking microphones <laughs> like it, it was it was hilarious how many people were like you know single track and whiskey would love for it to be a hero four jordan microphone that doesn't sound like garbage um literally every other comment was audio 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 um, yeah, I also think, and I and I don't have anything to back this up, other than just me rubbing my crystal ball. I think they're releasing the new session too, because the price of the session has dropped, and normally that's something that happens when they're trying to clear out room for a new new something. Like DJI did that with one of their drones before they they released the next one. Like so, it's kind of like typical. What would you like to see out of the session change? man i mean i know what it is for me hands down if you could oh excuse me if you could if you could swap the battery on the session oh god i would be so stoked because i really like using that it's so small i can put it on different parts of my bike and and, and it's not obtrusive at all but if um the, the problem is, is i have to use it sparingly because that's only charged once so through my whole ride i can't just like put it on and just leave it run. 
I need to like, okay, I'm going to use it right here for this little bit. I'm going to use it right here for this little bit because the battery won't last a whole ride otherwise. So if I could actually swap batteries in there, if they could put a door on the back of it, kind of like the door that they have on the side for the, the SD cards, that's waterproof. You just pop that open and slide a battery in and out. That would be fucking sick to me. I don't, you know, I honestly, I think that the session is dead. Like, I don't think we're going to see it come back unless GoPro really brings themselves back from the brink financially. I don't think they can afford to make a new session. Um, and even if they did, I don't know if we would actually see a swappable battery. I think we would see better battery life. I think they would try to cram as much battery life out of that as possible. Like, if they could get it to the point where, like, you could get two solid hours of 4K filming in a session, that'd be pretty awesome. As it stands, you can get like maybe an hour and a half if you're lucky. Yeah, I guess if they drop the prices down, I mean, it, worst case scenario at this point, if you know, maybe you just carry a couple of them then. <laughs> yeah, if they like drop the price to 50 bucks, like, oh, buy four of them. <laughs> well, I mean, just it, out? It, it just dropped down to like a uh, hundred instead of 150 or something like that. I don't know. I haven't honestly been keeping tabs. I know no front brakes uh, no just picked right up. No front brakes is in the channel right now. I know he he had bought one quick or recently, so maybe he can throw us up the price of what it used to be compared to what it is now. I think I spent 150 or 199 on mine. I can't remember. I remember it was like considerably cheaper than the regular GoPro. I can tell you at one point it got marked down at Dick's Sporting Good to like 80 bucks because Dick's was just trying to clear them out. Oh, wow. That yeah. Was and like all of them got sold out instantly. <laughs> like every, even scalpers just went out and just bought them all and then put them up on eBay the same day for like 200 bucks. It was, it was really frustrating. Wow. Let's, yeah. I do remember seeing that come up. So let's talk about another thing here with the cameras. That is pretty like typical with, with us, us YouTubers is gimbals. Yeah. Uh, I think that I will lead off by saying there are a couple of different types of gimbals as far as how many axes that there are. So if you have a two axis, like, is there a one axis? I don't even know. Is there one axis? Yes. So that would be maybe just give you the up and down or the. No, it's side to side. Like, so if you have, if you have the gimbal standing straight up and you tilt it forward, it's going to go forward like it's it's basically on a stick at that point. But if you tilt it to the side, left or right, the camera will will keep the horizon, meaning right. that it won't tilt side to side. So that's a one axis. So then the two axis gimbal. That would basically then give you the ability to go forward and backward and it would still keep the horizon as well as side to side. So that's basically are we using is like the, the ones that we, we use those are three axis. Huh? The Evo is a three-axis gimbal. Okay, so what's the third axis then? So you have, um, what is it? Side to side, front and back. Now you're asking me to do algebra. Oh, and uh, side to side, right? So you have three motors here. So you have the one on the base, which keeps you from twisting it side to side, right? If you okay. tell it to point straight ahead, it will... It will, yeah, point straight ahead, or it'll slowly follow. You can adjust that. If you tilt it side to side, it will keep the horizon. The third axis, the third motor, 
when you tilt it forward or back, will keep it level. So the uh -huh. camera, so that's three axis, three motors. That's where it's like, you know, really needed on mountain biking because you're like moving your body forward, you're moving your body backwards, you're going like, so you're not just having that like, that like, you're not so rigid in the way that you ride. So that's why you need all three of those axes to keep that that picture nice and, and like the horizon like solid. Yeah. So the downside is what? It depends on who you talk to. The person who's watching the footage, some people say that it smooths out the trail too much. I've like definitely heard that. You know, there's people like I, I um my gimbal broke on one of my rides not too long ago, and I finished up my ride with with just my my Hero Four mounted to my handlebars or my chest. I might have used it both on that that ride. And people definitely were like, "Dude, I like that. I could really see kind of the the how active the trail was." Yeah, and you know what's funny? Um, let me. See. He posted it in the chat, so I'm going to try to get it. Boostin Mark Four talked about the uh the sony x3000 and what's special about that camera is it has the lens in the action cam will actually move around a little bit and that'll try to absorb the the motion and the impact and that'll stabilize the footage that way and a lot of people actually kind of like the footage out of it because it stabilizes it enough that you can see it but you still see those big impacts shake the screen. And so like, if you just took like a five foot drop and you slam down, like you hucked a flat, you see it like the whole image shakes, but it's like smooth enough 90% of the time that it looks, it looks passable, but that's, it's like personal preference. Some people can't watch that because it makes them nauseous. Other people think that, you know, three axis gimbals make the trail look boring. Yeah, I think it's kind of like it's it's kind of like religion. You know what I mean? You're never going to keep everybody happy, and it's what you you want to do. It's it's like the same same argument is to be said with with hubs. You know, like some people love the loud ones, some people love the the, the quiet ones. I, I mean, I I definitely hear plenty of people bitching about my hubs being loud. <laughs> plenty of them bitching about them. You know, wishing that they were they were or saying that they enjoy them being loud. So. Um, it's definitely one of those things I think as a creator, you need to maybe do a little bit of both or just be like, fuck it, this is what I'm doing and I'm fine with that, you know? And and I think that's where if you're a person that doesn't have the money or the resources to get a gimbal or you feel like it's not needed, then that's where you mix up your, your camera being set on a tripod and you doing a ride by or your buddy holding it and kind of panning as you ride by mixing those shots in with the POV where you're, you're wearing it in maybe different spots. And that gives you that, you know, that balance. I think also if my personal take and I, maybe Joe, you can, you can tell me what yours is, but my personal take is if you are using it without a gimbal, I, I tend to say like, keep those shots short so that even if they are being like little jittery or whatever, if you change the camera to a different like angle that you had, like maybe you had more than one camera set up, then people don't really mind it as much. What, what, what do you think? So I want to point out something. Uh, Jordan Boostmaster just, just got a gimbal like late last year, I think it was. 
And it was mostly just because everyone kind of like he was curious, but it was also just because so many people asked him to give it a try because he just mounted it on his helmet, which your head is basically a gimbal, you know, natural gimbal. Yeah. You know, when you think about it, if you watch someone, they're going to tilt their head into the turn and they're going to kind of absorb those impacts. That's so one of that's the what, things that people always say, if you're going to mount an action camera and you don't have a gimbal, put it on your head. Or exactly. some of these guys, uh, I think, uh, what's the guy in uh, in Scotland? What's his name? I, I'm going to screw it up. Uh, McTrail Rider. Yeah, he's wearing his mounted under his chin on his full face, which yep. is still using his head as the gimbal. So I, I've seen a lot of his stuff. I mean, I've seen those shots. They look good. Yeah. No, you can definitely get crave with placement. Um, going back to that, and, you know, someone in the chat earlier asked, you know, third person versus first person. And my answer is try to do as much as both. Try to do both as much as you can because it helps keep it fresh. Um, third person shots take time because you have to stop. You have to set up, you know, frame everything. You have to hit record, walk up your walk your happy butt up the hill send it a couple times to make sure you got the shot and then continue on down the trail. Outdoor so, gold says head gimbals don't run out of batteries. That's so fucking funny. And so they funny. do run out of batteries. Uh, you know, when you run enough cliff bars, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's hilarious. You yeah. know, another thing I wanted to bring up about gimbals just because I have gone down this path and I think, you know, many others will as well. Um, even without me saying this, you can pay for a really cheap one that is coming straight from China, or you can pay a little bit more from a company like Evo and get one that's made here in the US. There could be a whole debate about whether or not it's the same gimbal or not. I'm sure if you talk to Evo, Evo, it's not the same gimbal. There's their own engineering and, and they are paying whatever for maybe better like transistors and circuit boards and higher QC quality control. However, the biggest thing that I can say is that I bought one of those cheap gimbals when I first started. And even though BKXC used to say his lasted six months and it died, I thought, eh, maybe it's just him, you know, and um, maybe I'm not going to wear it out or maybe he just got unlucky. And uh, it was almost six months to the day that mine died. And whenever I tried to ship that back to China to get fixed, first of all, it was going to take like a month to get there at the cheapest rate. And the cheapest rate was almost, it was like two thirds of the cost of the gimbal for me to ship it back there. Because what happens is like, I, I don't know if this is entirely true, but this is what I heard is that the Chinese government is like subsidizing their shipping to help them ship stuff to the US to make it, it like more economical for them to, to sell it. And um, so for us to get it back to them is just ridiculously high. And then also in communicating with them, and I'm sorry, Fayou Tech or whoever it is. I mean, it was Fayou Tech that I was working with, like communicating with them, the, the language, like they did not have their like their A plus fucking English speakers communicating with me. It, it was basically like, I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to buy a new one. I bought the Evo. They're based out of Bend, Oregon. It cost me $10 every time that I've screwed it up and needed to get it fixed. So for me, that's really what makes the difference. Like, yes, it's $100 more, but I've 
had to send mine back because at the end of the day, dude, we're fucking strapping this thing and like bouncing down a mountain. And sometimes we're taking some diggers and wiping out like, so to be able to send that back three or four times in a year because I ate shit or I sweat all over it or whatever, like that's worth it that more than paying like a hundred dollars less, but never being able to return it. Totally. Um, yeah, you touched on good, two good topics, right? It's nice to be able to pick up the phone and talk to someone here. Um, and it's, it's mainly just because of the fact that like they run the same hours we're awake. So you can actually call and talk to someone and you can get a realistic idea of like how long it'll take to get repaired. You'll, you'll talk to a real life person. Um, it doesn't cost an arm and a leg to ship it out there and it's going to get sent back to you faster. Uh, you might save a few bucks up front if you get the cheap one, but you know, the people who are looking to buy a gimbal are getting pretty serious about YouTube. And so like, you know, BKXC, for example, that dude has at least two gimbals in rotation, probably three at this point, because whenever his equipment goes down, he can't make a video. That's not a good thing for BKXC because that's his livelihood. So, you know, he pays yeah, that. Me though, dude. I mean, I'm not, I'm, 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 I'm definitely, you know, doing this more than the weekend warrior, but I still, ca- I'm, I'm carrying two gimbals with me because yeah. if my gimbal died, if I drove fucking four hours to go ride some trail and halfway through that, my gimbal dies, I'm pissed. So, I mean, I carry my second gimbal in my fucking camelback. So that I can definitely like, you know, finish the ride. And and I'm not saying that my gimbal is dying because it's like, you know, shitty manufacturing. Dude, what I put that thing through is like way, way, way more like, yes, it's it's advertised and sold as a wearable gimbal. But a wearable gimbal could be like if you're looking at like skiing or walking around town or jogging or a bunch of other shit that you could do with a gimbal is nothing compared to three and a half hours of bouncing off of rocks, you know, constantly. And then also every once in a while slamming into the ground at fucking 20 miles an hour with it on. You know what I mean? So like sometimes, dude, they, they get screwed up because of that, you know? And so... I definitely want to be able to like capture my ride even uh, at the, at the level that I'm at compared to BKXE because what's my opportunity cost? You might, my opportunity cost is like, when am I going to be able to drive all the way back to this trail and ride this trail again? Or am I even going to want to do that? You know what I mean? Definitely. And uh weekend MTB asked, will they replace it if you go OTB and break them? I don't think their warranty is that robust. Robert, correct me if I'm wrong, because you actually just got to hang out with them. You know, I, I can say that I've um, I've taken a digger before, and I bent it, and I was able to re-bend it back to where it should be generally. And however, like it did screw up the motors and I sent it back under my, in my, in my one year warranty, I just said, Hey, the motors aren't acting right. And, um, and they fixed it. So it cost me shipping. So uh, they didn't really ask me any questions and I um, didn't, you know, give up that information either. But um, (laughs) I think that, you know, ultimately like 
you're in that one year, you're using it for what you're supposed to be using it for. I mean, yeah, if you send it back to them and the things fucking snapped in half, I think they're going to have a pretty good idea of what happened. You know what I mean? Like at that point, yeah, you might be ass out, but for the most part, dude, if you take, you know, if, if you bail, usually they're not getting all, all jacked up. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'll say this. Um, usually you buy these things through B and H or Amazon or Adorama, you know, all these camera stores. And then Amazon is just the giant uh, entity. All those people offer extra accidental coverage. Um, and Robert, you've used Amazon's accidental coverage with pretty good success, right? Sorry, you caught me. You caught me uh, trying to, to set up the Yaman there for no front brakes. Yeah, actually, I have. I think no front brakes has as well. I think that um, it was worth it, you know, because to me, I think it was like 60 bucks or something like that for me to get the additional coverage. And after I had had screwed up and, and bought that Bayou Tech that I ended up having to send back, I was like, for 60 bucks for the peace of mind of knowing that I'm, and no front brakes, the same 35. Um, yeah. That, that, um, that it was worth it. And I actually did um, mess up my gimbal in that, in that year where I had sent, had contacted them and they, they, they basically just um, refunded me the money of the gimbal. So for 35 bucks, I could just go out and buy a new gimbal and not have to spend another, you know, 300 bucks. Yeah. Your mileage may vary. uh, But I, I would, I also, excuse me. Um, for expensive electronics that I know I'm going to be taking out in the field, that that extra fee, I'll tell you, it's worth it because I've had some very expensive things that I broke and didn't have the warranty on it, and I ugly cried when I realized that I had just broken a $500 camera uh, product. And then there were other times where I had the warranty on it, and I just was down a few days and then got a shiny new product uh, as a replacement. But, uh, you know... I would say that if you're worried about really snapping it, spend the extra 35 bucks, get some peace of mind. Um, I think for the, for the peace of mind, it, there is no doubt that, that it's completely worth it. Like I, and I, I talked to all of you guys in the collective about it whenever I, I had done, done that. And um, I know everybody's experience hasn't been the same, but um, sometimes um, they don't ask you to send the camera back or the gimbal back. So, yeah. In my in my experience, when I had that happen, I contacted them. They refunded me the money for the gimbal. They didn't ask me for the gimbal back. So I sent the gimbal back to Evo and paid for it to get re, re, to get fixed. And then I still ended up with a gimbal and then I got all my money back. I know when New Front No Front Brakes did it his, um, and maybe it was a different warranty company, I don't know, but they asked him actually to send the product back which I was really surprised that they didn't ask me to do that or like send them a picture of it, like snapped in half or something like that. But for whatever reason, maybe I just got, maybe I just got lucky that one time, but even at that, I mean, that's, that's pretty, pretty lucky, you know? Yeah. So speaking of gimbals, I want to bring up another conversation topic. Three sixty cameras or the gimbal killer. Yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely, you know, the, the new, that's the new buzz, man. What, what's, uh, what's your take, brother? It's not a gimbal killer. Yeah. I think it hands down for me. Um, I, there's not even a question about it at this point. 
No, it's not. I do see it in the future. And I do see it like for like the average guy that that's like, I think the Rilo, for example, and that, and I've seen some other ones, I think Insta360 as well. But like, yeah, what you get out of that compared to the GoPro, I, if I was like recommending to one of my buddies to buy something, I would tell them to get that because I think the audio is decent. The picture quality is cool and you can like mount that thing fucking all over the place. Like it's really, it's really, um, it's well-rounded, but it's not killing the gimbal for us. Yeah. So here's, here's a couple of reasons why I think it's not a gimbal killer and it may not be for quite a while, at least two more years before we actually see people legitimately switching over from GoPro to through 60 camera. So first off the cost, the Insta 361 is three hundred dollars. The Rilo is five hundred dollars. For the cost of a Rilo, if you're really serious about it, um, you can go out and buy a GoPro four for two hundred dollars and a gimbal for about two fifty. So you have fifty dollars left over to spend on beer. <laughs> so somebody said that they don't care for the video of the three sixty though, and I think what's key to mention there is you don't have to edit it where it like spins around and you don't have to edit it where it's like way out where it like gives you that weird like fishbowl kind of, of look you can actually edit it where it looks just like the gopro does and and so that's for me why i think that's where it, it's the killer because you have those other options but maybe you don't use them but you can also zoom it in you could wear that thing right on your chest mm -hmm. and like like with the chesty and not care about the whole 360 of it but because of the way that it films it'll really like do all the stabilization and stuff that you need and you don't have to worry about the fucking gimbal breaking and stuff like that they're waterproof like so you could you could wear that on your chest and, and get that same nice shot and the stabilization and have a little bit less of the, the hassle of the gimbal yeah so i'm gonna I'm for gonna the average guy you know, the average guy, yes, the, it's really enticing to just be like, here, you just, here's a camera. There's literally only one button on it. Press that and magic happens. Here's my problem. You, this is like all 360 camp companies have this against them. I'm not picking on any particular one. All of them have filmed them using their products in the best conditions possible well lit with uh, a bunch of wide open space so you can't see uh, the stitch lines and I'll get to what stitch lines are in a second but it's like yeah you look at Rilo's Instagram and they're always showing these cool examples of what 360 can do and I just kind of shake my head because I'm like well yeah but what about when I'm in a really dark forest surrounded by trees and now what I mean by that is this so first off, a lot of people say that they don't like the look of 360 cameras. It's because 360 cameras have to have these really wide angle lens. You remember back in the 90s, all those skater videos that had the fisheye lens? And like yeah. everything looked really distorted, like the stick figures that were like bowing, you know, if someone was standing off to the side. You, get that, you even get that on a GoPro. Like it, it and I, there is a correction that you can do in post-production. 
I didn't know about it for a long time. And even half the time that I do use my GoPro, I forget to fucking add that on there. But yeah. you'll notice like, like I've had people say before, dude, it looks like your front tire is bent a little bit. And I'm like, no, it's actually not. It's just the GoPro. That's how you get that wide angle. You can't get that wide angle without it distorting things a little bit. Yeah. And we lovingly refer to that as the GoPro effect. Makes everything look super flat, right? I, 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 I yeah, I think to me, the GoPro effect means something else. You know, the, Go, that, the GoPro effect to me is making things look flat. But I thought we were talking more about that, like fishbowl. They kind of go one in the same, right? 360. To me, just to clarify for people that are listening, and, and you, you can you can definitely give, give your version of it. The GoPro effect to me is because of that wide angle. It doesn't give you the depth perception. So when exactly. you're going over a rock, where you're going down something steep, it really makes it look flat. And I've had countless guys that aren't YouTubers watch videos that we were riding on together and be like, holy shit, dude, I never knew what you guys were talking about until I've been there and seen us go down this thing that's stupid as fuck and then watch it on the video and you're like, oh wow, that's not real, oh, I can do that. So yeah. like when you see a video that looks insane and you're like, holy fucking shit, that's steep. Like if they're filming that on a GoPro, it is stupid, stupid steep. Like, like yeah, well yeah. Beyond, like superhuman steep, you know? If you have a butt pucker moment watching a GoPro video, you're probably going to need new shorts if you actually did it in person. Um, and to like kind of address what Dead Sailor said, yeah, like Panasonic has some of the worst autofocus, but in their promotional videos, oh, the autofocus works fine. You know, any camera company is always going to show their stuff in the in the best light. That's the job of the marketing team. Um, so like, yes, every camera company is, um, just like every bike manufacturer is going to tell you it's the fastest bike ever, except right. until next year. And then that's the fastest bike ever. But here's the other problem with um, 360 cameras. The stabilization the gimbal killer effect the way it does it right is it takes these two images and it stitches it together so it's filming these two 4k images at the same time from both sides and then it's using gyroscopes and gyroscopes basically just tell the camera which way it's facing you know are you facing up down left right it uses that to figure out which way the camera's moving and all it does is it just locks in a frame and make sure that frame follows the horizon which is like you know straight ahead here's the problem with that you remember when we were talking about shutter speed and how you know you get that motion blur when you have a slower shutter speed and it goes away when you have a faster shutter speed so 360 cameras need a very fast shutter speed to make sure that the image is very crisp so you don't notice that literally all that 360 camera is doing is just panning around and making sure that the image doesn't look like it's moving. But what happens is if you go into, you know, dusk or just a very, uh, excuse me, beer. If you're going into a very shaded area, like in the Pacific Northwest where the tree cover is very intense, you lose light. So the shutter speed has to slow down to let more light in that introduces motion blur. There's literally nothing the camera can do about that. It has to either choose between a very crisp image or being properly exposed. 
and the current camera technology, the sensors just aren't good enough to be able to work in those low light conditions. That's so, the hardest thing for me, like even like when you're recording though too, like with the GoPro and stuff is like, when you're in those spots that are like light and dark, like where it's like you have a shaded, like let's say the shade of the trees looks like a spider web over the trail and you're like in and out, in and out, in and out, shade yeah. and bright. It is like, it, it's like a fuck show to fucking try to, to edit that because you're like, you, you can't get it to look good really that well at all. And, and I know um, Lone Ranger like, went through a bunch of stuff on his channel. He did a good, a really good series. I don't know if anybody's on the chat wants to throw that up in there. Um, he did a really good series on like explaining how like to set the settings on, on the GoPro for those type of things. But the best days is like what No Front Breaks just said, like an overcast day. That's why I'm looking forward to fucking winter out here is that, you know, it'll just, it makes your video look so much better whenever you don't have those real bright and then shaded air uh, like days. Yeah. Or something so that you can do that you can say other than us, you know, shooting them over to the Lone Rangers series about like how to set the camera to kind of like do the best that you can do with that. Oh, that's a whole nother topic, man. And and considering the amount of rabbit holes we went down, I'm going to keep my mouth shut on that one. We'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and pass. Yeah, we'll, we'll pass. For for the sake of the people who are still listening or watching, we'll, we'll pass. But uh, the Lone Rangers made a good tutorial. If you want a deep dive that really explains, like you've watched the Lone Ranger and you're like, okay, I got it. But you're like oh, curious. I, I know this one. Pick me, pick me. Jordan Boostmaster. Yeah, Jordan Boostmaster made a 30-minute long video that literally goes step by step showing what each setting does, why he picked the setting he did. So if you really want to geek out and understand, Jordan Boostmaster's video is great. If you just want to be shown, like, how do I get the best video? Lone Rangers is great. If you're a new guy getting into it, watch Lone Rangers shit and then do that for a while and then go back and watch Jordan Boostmasters. When I first started, Jordan Boostmasters video was really the only one that, that was there. And it's still point, the gold standard. Oh it's man, still it, was the gold like, standard. it was like way over my head. And he's like showing like, you know, in post, like all the light and the, how it works and looks in there. And you're just like, what the fuck is going on? If this is what I gotta learn, I cannot do YouTube. So maybe just take the easy approach Look at what uh, um, what what uh, the Lone Ranger has to say, and even at that, I mean, he went in the rabbit hole a little bit. He was like, just a little bit, just the tip. He went in with just the tip, but uh, Jordan Boostmaster, he 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 fucking boosted that shit. <laughs> I got to hang out with Jordan Boostmaster when I was up in Bellingham. Uh, the dude drove all the way down from Canada just to hang out with me for a day and play with cameras and bikes, and it was really cool. And yeah, we got into some geeky conversations. So what was what was like one of the first things that you asked him? Um, actually, the first thing that I asked him was, "What the fuck is wrong with your bike? Because it's making weird sounds." <laughs> <laughs> like okay, so Jordan, first things you asked him about camera shit. Oh, camera shit. Um, did you guys go straight into the like frames per second debate? I don't think so. I mean, Jordan and I talk on the regular off offline about camera stuff. Like whenever I'm playing with something, I'll show him when he has a question about uh, some other things. You know, we we're peers. We like to share information with each other. Um, 
What was the first thing I asked him? Man, that day was a big rush. I don't know. I think that we just kind of we just kind of chilled until we got to the um the place where we were filming. And then, you know, I I broke out a cable cam. I started asking him, you know, how do you want this to look? What do you because I was the way that we did it was I told him, come on down and I'll film everything for you. And we're gonna we're gonna film you going down this really awesome um you know trail that's in Bellingham called uh, Mohawk it just opened back up because they rebuilt it and I'm going to hand you the footage and you can make a video off of it you know just give me credit that's all I ask but have fun with it and so you know because it was his video that I was filming I'd be like what what look do you want do you want 60 frames a second do you want 24 are you looking for a tight shot a wide shot and we were just standing there kind of like looking down the trail he's like okay i'm gonna come down here so frame it like this move the camera a little bit so it was really cool to be able to like work with jordan kind of like when i worked with the lone ranger to film his fastest bike in the world video it was Which like awesome by the way you guys did an amazing job on that video we had fun with that it was three intense days of filming but it was totally worth it in the end um and yeah you know eric no front brakes was there. He just saw Lone Ranger and I just roll up and we're like, okay, so do we, do we want to use the cable cam here? Do we want to use the drone? Uh, do you want a nice wide shot, tight shot, panning shot? You know, we, and we would work through like how we wanted the shot to look. I, I actually didn't realize how much of a, like a production, let's just say fucking knowledge that I have or a filming knowledge that I have just from like doing my channel as long as I have where like, I take things for granted where I'm like, Hey, I don't, I like, I, I have a hard time now just saying like, Hey, hold this camera. I'm like, I want you to hold this camera. And as I go by, I want you to do this. And like, I want you, you like, it, it, it's like, I I'm giving like this little class and it's cause, cause other times I've told people, Hey, hold this camera. And then they don't do what I want. Like that maybe I ride by and they like try to like pan with me. And I'm like, no, I didn't want you to do anything except for be a tripod. Like hold yep. it exactly here because I want to ride in the shot and out of the shot. Or yep. I want you to let me ride into the shot, but then I want you to follow me and don't let me ride out of the shot. That's called being a director. Yeah, yeah. And it's so weird because like I didn't realize that I became that person. Like I I, I totally didn't realize that I became that person. And um, it, it's interesting as you like, you know, go through the process of, of having a channel or even if you're doing this for fun, like how much that you can like, you're like, Oh, like, like I was talking to somebody recently, I was doing a video with somebody, I can't remember who it was. And I was like, they did something and I was like, Oh, don't worry about it. When I edit that, it won't look like that at all. And they were like kind of perplexed, you know, and it was like, you know, no, I can cut this and I can like change the zoom or I can like, move it over because the way that I zoom in and it'll, it'll look completely different. Like what you're doing is fine. You know, and it's just like, once you start to kind of learn that, that aspect of it, it really kind of changes things a lot. So there's a couple of things that I want to touch on first off. Um, oh, you want to say something, Robert? Yeah. Don't let me forget. You mentioned cable cam. So once you're done with what you're talking about right now, I do want to get back to that. Okay. So, uh, back to being a director, right? There's this old saying, and to give a little background, I used to actually work as an editor in a production shop as an intern. I, I don't want to set any unrealistic expectations. I was an intern 
And I left the industry because I got fed up of the drama. Every cliche you've heard about, like everyone being overly dramatic and backstabbing all stuff, all very true. I'm sure some production houses are better than others. Mine was terrible. It put a terrible taste in my mouth. I left the industry and never came back. Um, so with that, there's this old term. We'll fix it in post. If you hear that on a set or a shoot, the answer is no. It's going to look like crap <laughs> because you, as the director, Robert, you're telling me to hold a camera and do this. You have a vision in your head of how you want that sequence to be edited together. That's fine. That is giving me creative directive. If things are just like, you're just like, just stand there with the camera and do something. I don't know. Just figure it out. And then you look at the footage afterwards and you're like, ah, well, that looks like crap, but we'll fix it in post. That's when you need to start getting worried. <laughs> so if you have an idea of how you want a sequence to look, shoot it that way. Sometimes you do get struck by inspiration and you're like, you know, when you're in the editing bay, as we refer to it, when you're sitting down, you're editing your footage and um, you're like, oh, we can edit it this way. That's fine. But if you like, if you think everything can be solved in the, in the editing room or the editing suite, oh, you're going to be so disappointed so many times. But so Robert, one of the things I want to say about that is something that I thought about earlier when we were talking about something else. I think we were talking about people wearing uh, cam or cameras without gimbals. I think that like one of the biggest things of advice that I've given others, and maybe your perception is different. Everybody has their own opinion on how they like to edit and how they like to see things. But I usually tell people all the time, try not to give a shot of writing more than like 30 seconds because when you're doing that POV, even if you clip out 10 seconds and then you like put your next 30 second shot in there, like just that little bit of change of scenery, even though you're still giving that whole like five minute section of trail, just because it seems like a different like moment in time when people are watching, it gives that like visual stimulation that's like where you're not like, oh, this is getting boring. I'm just watching this guy like roll down the hill, blah, 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 blah. Do you agree with that? I do. I have a different way of, of phrasing it. The job of editing or an editor or your job when you are putting together your video is not to add in things to make it more interesting, but take away everything that doesn't need to be there. You're literally just boiling it down to its, its purest essence. That's the job of an editor is to know exactly when to make that cut. Like everything after this is useless. Take it away. I mean, I think that's the editing process. I mean, that's how I come up with my, where I like, if, if you're on my Patreon, a lot of other guys, Patreon, they do the same thing, do a rough cut. So you go through, you just do, you cut everything that you think is semi-interesting. So here's a five minute section of me going down this hill, right? And that's what I'm going to be having my rough cut. And when I come back, I might cut out fucking three minutes of that but I'm going to use, you know, two minutes of 30 seconds here, 30 seconds there and 30 seconds there to actually make it enjoyable instead of watching five minutes of, okay, this is kind of getting boring. Yeah. So I want to say one more thing, and this is more of a story, but it kind of ties into Robert, what you're saying, you know, I go down the rabbit hole. I'm a geeky guy. 
Yeah, I'm sure we lost like half our audience when I'm just like, so an aperture is when you do depth of field. So one of my favorite directors is Kevin Smith. He's more well known for uh, Clerks and Mallrats and Dogma and all these uh, classic 90s movies. That dude um, does not know the first thing about cinematography. Meaning... He tells a story of when he was filming uh, the Die Hard movie um, that like came out in the, the late 2000s or something like that. Bruce Willis was talking with him and Bruce Willis, you know, was kind of trying to talk shop about, you know, how do you think you want this shot to look? What lens, what focal length are you going to use? And Kevin Smith's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, how do you want the camera set up? He's like, oh, I just leave that to this guy. And he points to his cinematic director or director of cinematography. And he looks at the guy and he goes, hey, and he calls out the guy's name and he like holds up his hands. Like, you know how people like use their thumb and finger to like frame like that cliche, like, oh, framing a shot and they look through it. So what he did was he held his hands out and kind of framed himself. And he's like, I want the next shot to look like this. And the, the, the director of cinematography just goes, oh, 50 millimeter. Okay, cool. I'll change it out for the next scene. And he looks at Bruce and he goes, so that's how I do it. <laughs> like Kevin Smith <laughs> didn't need to know that he needed a 50 millimeter. He just had a picture in his head. So like you can learn that along the way, but like, don't worry about going all the way down the rabbit hole. Just learn enough that you need to know to make the, make the shot look good. You know, and before we, um, touch on on the the cable cams that i that i do want to still talk about i do want to talk about what you just said there and it's framing i think that's one of those things when even if you're a person that's just like taking instagram shots like framing is one of the things that so many people just don't quite get right and um so a couple of key things and i know joseph is going to be able to tell you the um, the, 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 the industry terms for what I'm about to say, but, um, there, there's a few different things where it's like, how much of your body do you want shown? Don't center every fucking shot. Like it's okay to like put the guy or the bike in the left side of the screen and, or it's okay to like the, every shot of your bike doesn't need to be your entire bike. Like you can get in tight enough that maybe your front tire is out, but not your back tire. And you want to kind of like really kind of the best way that I can say to do it is think about the images that you'd like to see and try to imitate that. But I know, isn't there like a two thirds rule? There has something to do rules with rules of thirds. Yeah. Rules of thirds. Rules of thirds is one of if not the like oldest rules of framing and cinematography and the way that I'll you can talk right now, dude, before you explain this, I did this, but I didn't know why most and, people do. They, yeah, they yeah. just know it's pleasing to the eye. And that's why yeah. rules of thirds came about. It was, uh, it was literally a guideline to human behavior. So can you explain the rule of thirds? Rule of thirds is very simple. Basically, you split the screen into three parts, three even parts from top to bottom and from left to right. So you're going to take one third of the screen, draw a line from left to right. Now take the next third, draw a line from next left to right. Now you have three 
evenly spaced sections of the shot from top to bottom. Do the same thing from left to right. One third line, one third line. Now you have three. On the left, the top right, the top left, the all those corners where the lines converge, that's where you should place someone off to the side. Like, let's say, for example, you're standing next to a bike and I want to frame you in shot and you're talking about the bike. I, If you're standing to the right of the bike, I'm going to make those converging lines in the top right corner meet right basically on your nose. So that way, the very top line that goes from left to right is going across your eyes. And then the one going from top to bottom is going down your nose. And you can play around with it a little bit, but that's like the general starting point. And then the rest of the frame is filled with the bike. Let me, let me mention this. When you're like taking an Instagram shot, that can be fucked up a little bit. And that's what you adjust by your Zoom before you hit next on the Instagram post that you're zooming in, you're kind of shuffling the person over to kind of get them in that section if you didn't take the shot exactly right. Yeah. And if you ever notice, like when you start to reframe something in Instagram, suddenly you have these lines that show up arbitrarily that you never asked for. That's the, those are the rules of thirds. They already slice it up. So that way you can kind of frame the shot from there. Son of a bitch. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he was pointing out, um, you know, first off, he says, getting into composition techniques, we're going to be here all day, going to grab a beer. And then he said, by the way, most cell phones and every camera have grid lines options. So basically, you know, remember how I said your cell phone, it has the auto magic button, just like, boom, press the big red button and starts filming. Usually hidden in the menus, there's a way to, to do grids like uh, my Pixel 2 XL. Um, I, uh, I'll hold it up to the screen, but I'll show to show Robert, but like, see how there's grid lines there. Yes, those are, are, yep. So I just turned those on because I wanted to see them. Uh, so for the people listening at home, uh, a lot of modern cell phones in the menu allow you to put up framing grids and you should play around with them. You know, literally, if you're just sitting there taking a photo of your foot while you're watching TV, Play around with your camera. Figure out what the settings do. Because a lot of the cameras in cell phones today are stupid powerful. And they're starting to actually let people have, allow you to change the, the shutter. Allow you to change I, the like Instagram tags that were like iPhone 7 or iPhone 10 or whatever. Where they're just like, they're taken like just with cell phones. And some of the pictures that people fucking put out. Are amazing like these cameras that we have in our pocket are really good fucking cameras oh yeah yeah there's and there's tons of apps that you can buy for free or paid the paid ones are usually better but there's some free ones that really unlock a lot of potential in your camera but speaking of cameras you want to talk about cable cams yeah yeah definitely so you had mentioned that you use the cable cam for some shots that you had done with Jordan. I'm pretty sure you used the cable cam when you were doing the uh, Hill of Life stuff with uh, with um, the Lone Ranger. So can you explain to me and the audience what a cable cam is and what it's used for and for an entry level-ish kind of one, what's that, Ron? Oh. Maybe let's start with okay. the price. So 
anyone ever do the um, zip lines as a kid or as an adult? Yes, I'm sure there's plenty of people. I did it in the military. I haven't done it uh, outside of that, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay, so all a cable cam is, is you just run a line from like one object to another, usually a tree or a fence post, something that you can tie a, a very strong line across. And then you have this thing that basically just has motors. And it's an RC car that just follows follows this line. You, you clip it onto there, and then you can attach a camera to it. And what that is, it allows you to recreate a lot of shots. Um, you know how like when Alex or Seth will run alongside someone riding down a feature and they'll just hold the gimbal in their hand and run along? That's like a cable cam allows you to do that, but very precisely and repeatable. So like you can just keep doing that shot and you don't need to run along. So it gives it, it gets really smooth. And, and then you, can also, you don't get the audio of the fucking the, the big monster chomping through the woods or you missing your footing and, and breaking your ankle or rolling, a, rolling an ankle. Uh, it depends on how good the cable cam is. Some of them are pretty loud. Yeah. So you hear this as a, as a motor spin up. So what do you do then to get rid of the audio of it? Um, the audio of the person riding the audio separately, basically. Yeah. So then you're using the audio of the person riding maybe and, yeah, or you have a separate like cameras off to the side to like either catch another angle or to like get audio. Um, or you can just use music. Dubsteps is always a good alternative. <laughs> it's a good time to put music on. Yeah. Break out the Kesha. Um, so you can also like hang it up higher and get some like almost drone shots. And uh, you know how like you'll you'll watch the classic mountain bike advertisement showing off the latest bike. There's always that shot of like the riders on the trail and then the cameras like flying through the woods. So like trees are flying by in between the rider and the camera. Uh, it lets you get those shots. Um, so yeah, what does an entry level not actually flying a drone like doing that? Yeah, so they're great. They're great for either getting the camera very close to the rider or the person you're filming because drones are actually very dangerous. Um, they look cute and they look fun, but if you get hit by one of those blades, you're going to the hospital. Yeah. Like, no joke. They will mess you up. Um, the bigger drones will probably kill someone if they hit you. Um, so with that, cable cams are a lot safer um, because... What, what, what does a, a cable cam run? So there's a cheap one that like, do you mount your GoPro to it? Or does it come with like a little camera already stuck on it? Or most of them don't come with gimbals. Most of them uh, assume that you're going to have like an Evo SS or uh, a DJ Osmo or some other like gimbal camera setup. And most of those, it's really just the string in the motor. And it's then literally mounting. just, yeah, that. So then you're mounting your gimbal to that. Yep. Or your camera straight to that, and then that's that's going across like that. So the cheapest one that I've seen that I would actually recommend to people is about $500. And it goes up from there. <laughs> right on. So in a similar space, you'll also see, like I've seen you do with um, your, like I think your seat post when you did that. You had like the seat post in the center of the shot, and over 10 seconds of your voiceover, the camera's slowly moving to the right or the left. 
And are you doing that with a piece of hardware or are you doing that with, with post or can you do it either way? Oh, okay. So what Robert's referring to is the very first shot in the review that I did on the PNW dropper post where it was sitting on the, the log, right, Robert? Yeah, definitely. It's something, something like that. So it was like, uh, and I've seen it in a bunch of people's videos and I've always wondered, Hey, can you do that with like keyframes and posts or do you have to use a piece of hardware? What's the name of that hardware? So the hardware that I used, it's called a slider. And all it is, is a big, long metal rail. They come in like increments of a foot. So one foot, two foot, three foot, four foot, and you can get longer ones, but those are super expensive. And literally all it is, is it's either powered by a motor or you move it by hand and it's just like on rails, like you put the camera on the rails and you're just moving it from left to right. Um, you can, to answer your question, you can replicate that in your editing software by just doing a uh, you what's called cropping in where you zoom in on the image and then you set uh, what's called keyframes and you start the image on one side of the screen and then you move the image to the other side of the screen. And you can kind of fudge uh, a sliding shot that way. But I can tell you that if you're going for a very, very, very specific look, a slider is the only way to do it. But you don't need to buy a slider. If you have a skateboard or anything that rolls, like in your garage, do you have uh, I can't remember what they're called, but like you're sliding under your car to work on it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, you can literally put a camera on top of that. As long as it rolls or slides pretty smoothly, you can do that. Like some people will actually like just uh, take a piece of paper, set their GoPro on it. Dolly, thank you, Justin Ramsey. Is that uh, a dolly? I don't think it's called a dolly is like what you would carry boxes with. There's another name called something a creeper. Uh Dolly Creeper. I think yeah, people yeah, yeah. kind of know what we're talking about at this point. But yeah, you can just take a piece of paper and uh, set your, like an action cam. Action camera is pretty light, right? So you take a piece of paper, you set the camera on top of the piece of paper that's like probably sitting on top of your table, and then you just drag the paper across, and that's, that's a sliding shot. Hmm, there you go. So play with that next time you're you're bored at home and it's raining. Just, you know, set up a beer can, put your GoPro down, you know, kind of use the cell phone to frame the shot because you can use live view, set it on top of a piece of paper and then take the piece of paper and just gently pull the piece of paper and try to like do it as smoothly as possible. It might take a couple tries, but you can create a sliding shot that way. I'm going to make a sliding shot of my, my thumbnail right now. It's going to be like this. <laughs> nice. Wait, you started laughing. I didn't get to do it. <laughs> now I got a thumbnail. Maybe there I'll go. Maybe I won't. Either way. Holy shit, dude. We have definitely um just about racked up two hours here, man. Is there anything that you feel like that that we really should touch base on that we haven't yet? I just want to go back to the fact that like I go down the rabbit hole way too often with, with my, with my camera stuff. I geek out I, on this stuff. I'll tell you, dude, at the beginning, when you were really getting into the aperture stuff and all that, that, that was, that was tough for me to get through. But honestly, after that, I feel like, you know, I feel like we, we kept it pretty top level and I think that everything was, was pretty good otherwise, man. So. Yeah. So the, the one thing I want to close on is that 
every like I said, everyone gets Canberra envy. They look around, they look and see what Seth is using, Brian's using, um, your your favorite YouTuber, and the there's an old saying in photography that is so true it hurts. The best camera is the one you have with you. And basically what that means is if all you have is a cell phone and you want to start making a YouTube channel, maximize the crap out of that camera because most people are not watching because you have 8K cinematic footage. They're watching because you're either telling them something informative or doing something that's entertaining. And it doesn't matter what you're filming it with as long as they can hear you, which is why audio is so important. As long as they can hear you clearly and see you well enough, that's all that matters. So if you think you can't start a YouTube channel until you have that $800, $8,000 camera, you're just fooling yourself. You know what? There is one more thing that I want to talk to you about because I've asked you this question a bunch of times and I think that it really holds true to what we're talking about. So if you want to buy a camera and you want to kind of step it up from like the point and shoot you know, that, that maybe you've grown up learning how to use, like, where's the good entry level camera that like, what is that price point? I'm pretty sure you've told me a bunch of times right around five bills is like the G seven or something like that. You know, that's always so subject, uh, subjective. And I mean, um, what's budget, you know, my budget is, my idea of an affordable, good camera is around a thousand dollars. Some people may be like, "Whoa, I can't afford a thousand dollars. I have maybe a couple hundred dollars." You know, it, it's so hard to like pin down the best camera, which is why I always yeah, say, I mean, "Don't." I mean, it's the exact same thing with a mountain bike. Like, it's very, very subjective. But if you were going to tell one of your friends that they were like, "Hey, I want to get a camera." And, and I kind of want to get into it. I don't know if I really want to get into it, but I want to have some options. I want to do maybe 4K because I want to use it for vlogging or something like that. Like what kind of cameras? There's a couple that come to my mind. I'm just going to ask you and then I'll kind of throw, like to me, like right out that gate, I think there's a Sony that's like the, correct me on the models, like the 1000 or something like that, AS1000. So you're thinking of the RX100. That's uh, the one. That's basically ubiquitous. Like every major YouTuber has an RX one, uh, 100 and there's different versions. They have the Mark one, two, three, the best one that I would say right now is the Mark five. Um, because that one has the best video features. What's that every time they, right now you can pick it up new for like maybe $900. And then is that one that you can put like other lenses on or is that like, it just, happened? no, that's what it's referred to as a compact camera. And usually it just comes with a lens built in. You can't take it off. But there was a pan. I think it was a Panasonic that you had told me about before. Was it like the G7 as well? Yeah, the uh, the G7 uh, GX85 is another one. But here's what I want to stress to people. It, let me put it in mountain biking terms. Let's say someone's having a really hard time getting through some features. And they're like, well, I need a better bike, but you, you watch them ride it. They don't know how to bunny hop their, their form is all off. Um, they're using, you know, tennis shoes and all that stuff. 
you can learn how to ride a bike on a affordable hardtail. And so before anyone ever goes out and buys a camera, I will say to you this, learn how to maximize the camera you have now because the, the modern day cell phones and not even modern day, like the ones that just came out, but like any camera made in the past three years, you can download an app that'll let you play with shutter speed and ISO and all these things. Learn how all those things work first, just like someone should learn how to, you know, do all the basic maneuvering on a hardtail before they decide, you know what, I'm ready for a full suspension bike. You know, you can't buy skill set. And just like, you know, the GH5 is an amazing camera, but the body alone costs $2,000. And I have like um, a $900 lens on here. If you don't know how to use it, you're not really going to get a better image. You're just going to frustrate yourself. So at so what point, what point do you go from like the compact camera that's kind of like the do it all to like wanting to buy a camera that has like lenses on it? when you know exactly what type of lens you want like you're like you know what i would really like a 50 millimeter camera or a 50 millimeter lens with a 1.8 aperture right so you, you can tell yourself what i got, that a, I, I got a buddy that's a photographer for the nfl he he, he 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 shoots for the raiders and i know like some of his lenses are like twenty thousand dollars or some shit like that yeah like, it's crazy I mean, it's just going back to mountain biking, you know, what's the best mountain bike? First off, the one that fits you. Secondly, the best mountain bike is the one where you're like, you know what? I'm really getting into XC. So I'm going to get an XC uh, uh, bike this year. I'm going to get a full suspension, just, you know, single tracks uh, sled or I'm messing up terminology, but basically uh, you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, because, no. Go ahead. Well, because if you, when you get to the point where you think, I know what I need, it's not, well, some, so-and-so uses this, so I guess I'll get this. It's, oh, you know what? I really need a compact camera for this type of shooting because I find myself, you know, just needing something small. Or, you know what? I, I really need something with a really long reach because I'm, I'm doing, I'm standing back a lot. Um, I, I really am a proponent of, Grow out of the camera. Grow out of your bike. Don't just buy something because it's newer and fancier and everyone uses it. Buy it because, like, you know that you need it. I will say that if you're looking at a vlog camera, like, look, and, and this is not something that I really thought about when I first started looking, uh, and I still haven't bought one. Mine, like, like, take that into consideration as well. But one of the things that somebody brought up to me that I was like, oh, my God, that is, like, so true is have something that has like a screen that flips out that you can see when you're in front of it because it's so much easier to set yourself in a shot than like with a GoPro, it's like a super wide view. You can pretty much put it anywhere in the room and it's gonna be able to work out. But like when you're using a camera where it's tighter in its shot, like having that screen that flips up so that while you're talking to it that you can actually see where you're at in the image will be like worth it for a lot of things. Yeah, if I were to say like, instead of saying like a particular model or brand, let me say this. If you're looking for a good standalone camera that's not a GoPro, flip up screen, 
good battery life. You know, you want it to last all day without having to uh, charge it. And I don't mean like film all day. I mean, like, you know, figure out how much you film and then figure out like, okay, um, I, I find myself filming like two hours out of a full day. So I need at least two hours battery life. Flip up screen, good battery life. Um, good microphone. Don't get a camera just because it looks good. Get a good camera because it has a good microphone. <laughs> be able to see what the image is with that flip up screen. But, you know, you want to be able to talk to the camera and it uh, pick you up. Uh, and then the last thing is make sure that it feels comfortable in your hand. It sounds silly, but go to the camera store and actually hold them. Because if you don't like to, if, if something's too small for your hand or so big, you're not going to want to use it. So what's the oh, point yeah, of that? Other thing I want to mention too is there's a little connector on the top of some of them called a hot shoe, right? Yeah. Or a shoe. Is it just a shoe or a hot shoe? So um, it's there's called cold shoes. They don't have any uh, electrical plugins. That's a cold shoe. A hot shoe has a little electrical connectors, but those are mainly for flashes. Right, so, so you can slide a flash on there, but at least if it has like a cold shoe, like you could slide a little microphone on there because some cameras have like a thing where you can hook a like a, a nice mic into that, like get a road and put that on top there too. 90% of the compact little, you know, pocket size cameras do not have microphone imports. Oh, okay. So even if it has like a, a shoe, a cold shoe or a hot shoe, make sure that on the camera itself, it actually has a microphone in. There's very few compact cameras, very, very few that have a microphone. So um, I would say that the built-in microphone would be my biggest concern. Because the whole point of the compact is the fact that it can just fit in your pocket. You don't need to carry around a bunch of stuff. Definitely, dude. I can definitely, definitely um, understand that. I think the last thing that maybe we should touch on just really quickly is the SD cards that you put in there. The best thing that I can tell you is actually buy a good one. The, the good yeah. one, they will have what's called cast latency on them. So that means how fast it can write to that card, get the best one that you can, yes? Um, so it's not so much cast latency. I mean, that's, I, I don't know if that's the right one, but basically like all these cards have different um, write speeds. They have read speeds and write speeds. Um, n make sure that when you're buying a camera, that when you buy the SD card, go to the manufacturer's website and look for their recommended SD cards because some manufacturers will really like SanDisk. Other manufacturers will really like Samsung which I know that's confusing because they both begins with S's, but different manufacturing cards will sometimes work better in other cameras. But yes, get a good SD card because here's the thing. That SD card holds all your footage. So you can, <laughs> you, you can save $20 by getting a really cheap SD card, but then guess what? That SD card just lost all your footage for the day when it corrupted. So make sure that you're actually getting a good one. So Samsung, uh, SanDisk are two really good ones that are usually very compatible. I, I, um, 
I really appreciate you coming coming into to the chat tonight, man. Like, honestly, there's been a, a shit ton of information on this video. Probably, maybe more than one. Some some people want to hear. Maybe maybe enough for others. But really, really, really appreciate you coming in here and, and talking to all of us about this stuff because it's definitely like helped me out a lot. It's definitely um, giving giving me some good points of reference, you know. So. I do want to uh, mention that if you guys don't know, like I said in the very beginning of this, this that right now the Biker Bar is available on Apple's podcast as well as Google Play and SoundCloud as well. So if you guys want to listen to this as a podcast instead of watching it on YouTube, you can do that now as well. This is every Sunday at 5 p.m. PST. So thank you very much, Trail Features. It was it was sweet having you. Have anything you want to say in closing? Uh, if you made it this far, thank you for putting up with my uh, ramblings. And uh, if you haven't, go check out the channel. Um, I promise that not everything is this really deep dive into tech. Uh, usually, I just like to film really awesome mountain biking videos. And, and, and aside from that, he has a great voice. So, I mean, hey, everything's about the audio, according to him. It only takes a bike to be a biker. Get the fuck out and be one, bitches. We'll see you next Sunday, 5 p.m. PST. Talk to you guys then. Have a good one, brothers. <laughs>